Hey, good morning and glad you joined us today um, as we begin a brand new Christmas series. We're just simply calling carols. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've noticed that Americans do not handle waiting very well. We don't like to wait in line at fast food places. We don't like to wait in line at a grocery store. We don't like to wait in line at traffic lights or for test results. Matter of fact, we just don't like to wait. Beth and I were invited some time back now um, to Jacksonville to go to uh, a theater. Uh, now, we don't go to the theater often, but we enjoy it occasionally. And on uh, this particular night, um, the off-Broadway musical Wicked was in town. And uh, so we went and really enjoyed it. Now, what I don't like about the theater is what? Waiting. That is, in between acts, when the curtain would drop and, and you knew people were behind the scenes scurrying around, taking care of changing the scenery or changing the set or whatever needed to be done. Meanwhile, we were waiting, and like I said, I don't do waiting very well, and probably neither do you. Now, when it comes to waiting, there may not be any more difficulty um, than waiting on God. Have you ever had an occasion when you needed or had to wait on God? Maybe you needed wisdom for a decision to make, and you were waiting for God to speak to your heart, and it just seemed like forever, just seemed that he was silent. Maybe you were praying about an illness and were waiting for God to answer <clears throat> regarding that particular illness for you or a loved one, and, and during that time of waiting, it was difficult. You were wondering, did God hear? Is he present? Why was he silent? Perhaps you were needing a job. And the bank account was running low, and, and you needed to respond him to respond now, but he didn't. And that waiting can be difficult. That waiting can be very, very hard. Uh, I don't know what it is for you, but those times when I have been waiting on God, looking to hear from God, anxious to hear from God, and he's silent, they're painful times. We wonder, where is he? Does he really care? Maybe, maybe even, what have I done wrong? Why is it that God has turned his back on me? As a follower of Jesus, one of the hardest things we will ever have to face and learn is how to wait on him. There are two truths in Scripture that I think we need to learn uh, while we are on this subject of waiting to hear from God or waiting on God, waiting patiently or impatiently, whatever it might be. Two particular things that I think come to mind. First of all, we need to understand that while we are waiting, He is working. Secondly, we need to learn when He is silent, He is not absent. Two very important things that if we can drill into our minds and into our hearts, we can begin to more patiently learn to wait as God is at work. Much like the, the men behind the set, the ladies behind the curtain were working while we were waiting, working to change the scenery, working to adjust the set or the costume while we were waiting, while it was silent on the stage, yet there was work going. God is still at work, even when we're waiting and he seems silent. So these magnificent truths are taught in several places in Scripture, actually throughout the Scripture. But I'd like for us today to focus in on two particular passages of Scripture, two particular places where we see um, these two principles really hammered down on us and, and really unveiled for us so that we can see uh, the beauty of what God is doing even when he is silent or even while we are waiting. So let's talk about the first one first. That first thought is when he is silent... He is not absent. 
Keep that in mind. When God is silent, it doesn't mean that he is absent. Sometimes we equate the two. We equate his silence with his absence. We think that because he's not silent, he must be gone. The psalmist understood differently. Psalm 130 is a beautiful psalm that unpacks this verse or this thought for us, and, and, and we really begin to see what the psalmist is beginning to understand in his own heart and own life. I think the key is to look at some key words, some key thoughts, some key phrases in the psalm. And so I want to read the psalm, and as we walk through it, uh, begin to see how the psalmist is understanding, you know what? Even when God's silent, he's present. And his promises are present always, and his promises can be trusted. Psalm 130, the first thing we see is a mention of the pain of waiting. He says, out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Out of the depths, there's a key phrase, out of the depths, out of the depths of despair, we could say out of the depths of sickness. We could say out of the depths of depression, out, out of the, the depths of financial um, um, scrutiny, out, out of the, the pain, out of the depths of the earth, I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Can you hear in his voice that very painful expression, God, are you hearing me? Again, the psalmist is wondering, are you, Lord, really present? He opens with a cry, rising out of the depths of the distance and alienation for mercy. He cries out for unmerited and undeserved grace from God. God, are you there? You're silent. I'm calling to you, Lord. And then in verses 3 and 4, the Lord affirms his presence. Lord, he says, if you kept an account of iniquities, who could stand? If you, could count, if you kept, kept an account of iniquities or of sin, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. I think the key phrase there is simply, but with you. But with you. You see, our Father, our Heavenly Father, reacts differently than we tend to react. There is forgiveness available. He does forgive our sins. And the Scripture tells us that as He forgives our sins, He puts them behind His back to remember them no more. What great affirmation, what great words that affirm that we have in the Lord an inseparable companion, as one commentator called it. An inseparable companion companion, one who is willing to stand with us, even offering us forgiveness, who is willing to stand with us in every situation, wherever we are in life. And he is standing even when he is silent. And even in those moments when we wonder if he's there, the songwriter says, I trust you, Lord, because with you, with you, there's a different response. And then he moves to the idea of waiting. Look at verse 5. It says, I wait for the Lord. Because I trust him, because I know he's here, because even though he's silent, I know he's present. Because I understand this, I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning, he repeats. How important that we see that the psalmist speaks of this waiting, this pain of waiting, really. I understand that there's a positive note to this idea of waiting in this verse, but the idea is he is still waiting. It's still, um, even though his expectation is confident and even though he is expecting God to answer, even though he recognizes the, pain, the, the, the presence of God, still 
It's waiting. Still, there's nothing he can do but look to God and trust God. Waiting is hard but necessary. However, waiting does not have to shake our faith. We can sometimes feel that while waiting, God is silent, and his silence can be deafening, but it doesn't have to shake our faith. Why? Because as we wait, we know that God is present, and his promises are true, and we can trust those promises. And then finally, he talks about the hope that we have in God. Verse 7, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. While you're waiting, my friend, while it seems that God is silent, when it seems that he is not present, when you're wondering where he is or what's happening, when you're wondering why God's not doing what needs to be done, put your hope in the Lord, he says, for there is faithful love. Here's why we can hope in the Lord, because of two things. First of all, his faithful love. There is faithful love with the Lord and with him is redemption in abundance. Not only do we have the hope uh, hope because of his faithful love, his consistent love, but also because of his abundance of redemption. And then he adds, and he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. There is hope for those of us who are the people of God. This faithful love, this abundant redemption that God has promised that he gives, we can trust, we can depend on, even when he's silent, even when things are not moving as we want, even as we are painfully waiting in that silence, we have hope because of the promises of God. I can trust while waiting because of the promise of his word. Rick Warren said it this way. Rick Warren said, when you wait expectantly, you demonstrate that you believe God's promises. You believe he's going to keep his word. Now, that's a strong statement and a good statement, isn't it? When we wait expectantly, we demonstrate that we believe God's promises and we believe he's going to keep his word. God cannot lie. His very nature is truth. So, when he's silent, doesn't mean he's absent. Keep that in mind. Now, the second truth we talked about is this. While we are waiting, God is working. While we are waiting, God is working. Go back to the theater just for a moment. I'm sitting in my chair, and I'm waiting rather impatiently for the next set, for the next scene, for the next act. While I'm waiting for that, and while I'm impatiently waiting and wondering what's going on, guess what? There is work that is taking place behind the scene. In a very similar thing, in my life, in your life, in our situations, while we are waiting, and most of the time impatiently, God is at work. Often in ways that we can't see, often in ways that we can't understand, often in ways that we can't even imagine, He is at work while we wait. Now, what's interesting is there's a passage in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul talks about that and gives a, a demonstration of that, really. The Apostle Paul is talking about uh, a time when Jesus came, the time when Jesus came to be born. Now, I wish I had time to unpack the whole passage there. It would do you well to maybe talk about that in your small group time or maybe read that on your own, study it on your own. Uh, actually, as you look at Galatians 4, you might even want to go back to chapter 3 and set the context, but in essence, I want to zero in on a couple of verses in chapter 4 of Galatians, particularly verses 4 and 5. Listen to what he says. He says, when the time came to completion, what time? The time of Jesus' birth, the time in Bethlehem, 
that we're so familiar with and that we begin to study and we begin to sing about and we like to celebrate here during this Advent season. When the time came to completion, not before, not after, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, the key phrase here in this verse is in the fullness of time. It's, it's translated in different ways. Here, the, our, our CSB says when it came to completion, the, um, the, the New Living Testament, I love this, the New Living uh, um, Testament says, um, translation, I'm sorry, says when the right time came, God sent his son. New King James and ESV says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The NIV says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Now, the point is this. The point is that this is a designated time. It was not early and it was not late. It was not an accident. It was not an incident. It was a planned event. The expression, the fullness of time refers to that time when the world was providentially ready for the birth of the Savior. Everything was set. Historians tell us that, that the Roman world was in great expectation. They were waiting for a deliverer. They were waiting for a Savior. At that time, Jesus was born. The old religions were dying. The old philosophies were empty and powerless to change men's lives. And strange new mystery religions were invading the empire. Religious bankruptcy and spiritual hunger were everywhere. God was preparing the world for the arrival of his son said one commentator we looked at. From a historical point of view, everything was set. Everything was in place. Everything had been prepared for this moment. As a matter of fact, if you had the time, you might want to search out the, what we often call the silent years. We forget that between the Testaments, between the prophecy of Malachi and the, the introduction of the gospel, between the time when the the prophets last spoke, or at least last wrote, and the time when Jesus came was about 400 years. And in those 400 years, there was a silence. Everyone was waiting to hear from God. Everyone was waiting. The Jewish nation was waiting for their Messiah. They're waiting to hear. In fact, God is silent. But my friend, even though he was silent, it didn't mean he was absent. As a matter of fact, he was very much at work in the world. And while we were waiting, while the world was waiting, while the Jewish people were waiting, while the world was waiting for the coming of Messiah, God was working. We see it best in the preparation of that moment, for that moment when the Messiah would come. For example, there were the building of the, there through the Roman Empire and the Grecian empires, there are things put together that would enhance the gospel, enhance the, the spreading of the gospel. For example, roads connected city with city, and all cities ultimately led to Rome. When, when the church began to spread the good news of the gospel, the roads were there for them. Roman laws, secondly, protected the rights of citizens, and Roman soldiers guarded the peace so that they could move around reasonably peacefully. And then finally, a common language prevailed. Thanks to both the Greek and Roman conquest, Latin and Greek were known across the world. Greek was a common language. Our New Testament is written in Greek. There's a reason for that. People could speak, could communicate. And so you can be sure of this, that Christ's coming was at the perfect time. Christ came to Bethlehem in perfect timing. And that timing 
was because God had been working while the world was waiting. Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite commentators, said, Bethlehem was not an accident, it was an appointment. Jesus came in the fullness of time, and it is worth noting that he will come again when the time is ready. And why did he come, and why was it so important that it be timely? Why was it important that all these things fall into place? Why is it important that we celebrate that coming all these years later? Because he was born of a woman, Paul says. Why? To redeem, to bring redemption, to redeem those who are under the law. To bring us redemption, the story of redemption. To bring us salvation. To, to literally recover this world. To take a broken world and to fix it. I don't think any of us would argue that our world is broken. But how do we fix it? When will it be fixed? Jesus came to fix the broken world. He came to fix broken hearts. He came to fix broken lives through the redemption and through his gospel. Maybe the one of the best illustrations from this comes from the pen of John Piper. Maybe you know John Piper as a commentator. Maybe you know him as a pastor. Maybe you know him as a preacher or a, a Bible scholar. Maybe you know John Piper as a writer. Did you know him as a poet? Piper wrote a poem that I read every Christmas season, every Advent. I bring it out. It's called simply The Innkeeper. But this message is powerful it's set up as Jesus is coming uh, back to Bethlehem on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to the cross. He visits Beth Bethlehem, which is just a few miles from Jerusalem, and he goes back to the inn where he was born, and he has a conversation with the innkeeper. Let me read a portion of the poem to you. Listen to it. It's beautiful. It says, The children ran ahead of Jesus as he strode toward Jacob's inn. The stony road that led up to the inn was deep with centuries of wear and steep. At one point, just before the door, the Lord knocked once, then twice before he heard an old man's voice. Round back, it called. So Jesus took the track that led him around the inn. The old man leaned back in his chair and told the dog to never mind. Ain't no one to tend the door, my lad, for 30 years. I'm sorry for the inconvenience to your sore feet. The road to Jerusalem is hard, ain't it? Don't mind old Shem. He's harmless like his dad. Won't bite a Roman soldier on the night, in the night. Sit down. Jacob weighed the stump of his right arm. We're in a slump right now. Got lots of time to think and talk. Come, sit, and have a drink. A drink from Jacob's well, he laughed. You own the inn, the Lord replied. On loan, you'd better say. God owns the inn. At that, the Lord knew they were kin and ventured on. Do you recall the tax when Caesar said to all the world that each must be enrolled? Oh, Jacob winced. Are north winds cold? Are deserts dry? Do fishes swim and ravens fly? I do. A grim and awful year it was for me when God ordained that strange decree. How could I such a time forget? Why do you ask? I have a debt to pay, and I must see how much. Why do you say that it was such a grim and awful year? Jacob raised the stump of his right arm. So dazed, young man, I didn't know I'd lost my arm. Do you know what it cost me to house the Son of God? The old man took his cedar rod and swept it round the place, empty, for 30 years alone, you see. Oh, Jacob, poor old Jacob, runs with one arm and a dog and no sons. But I had sons once, 
Joseph was my firstborn. He was small because his mother was so sick. When he turned three, the Lord was good to me and Rachel and our baby, Ben, was born. The very fortnight when the blessed family arrived. Rachel's gracious heart contrived a way for them to stay there in that very stall right over there. The man was thin and tired. You look a lot like him. But Jesus said, why was it grim? We got a reputation here that night, said Jacob. Nothing at all to fear in that we thought it was of God. But in one year, the slaughter squad from Herod came. And and where do you suppose they started? Not a clue. We didn't have a clue what they had come to do. No time to pray, no time to run, no time to get poor. Joseph off the street and let him stay. Goodbye to Ben, me, or Rachel. Only time to see a lifted spear smash through his spine and chest. He stumbled to the sign that welcomed strangers to the place and looked with panic at my face as if to ask what he had done. Young man, you ever lost a son? The tears streamed down the Savior's cheek. He shook his head but couldn't speak. Before I found the breath to scream, I heard the words, a horrid dream. Kill every child who's two or less. Spare not for aught, nor make excess. Let this one be the oldest here, and if you count your own life dear, let none escape. I had no sword, no weapon in my house, but Lord, I had my hands, and I would save the son of my right hand. So brave, Rachel was so brave. Her hands were like a thousand iron bands around the boy. She wouldn't let him go. And so her own back met with every thrust and blow. I lost my arm, my wife, my sons, all the cost of housing the Messiah here. So why? Why would he simply disappear and never come to help? They sat in silence. Jacob wondered at the stranger's tears. I am the boy that Herod wanted to destroy. You gave my parents room to give me life and then let God let me live, or God let me live, and took your wife. Ask me not why one should live, another die. God's ways are high, and you will know in time. But I have come to show you what the Lord prepared the night you made a place for heaven's light. In two weeks they will crucify my flesh. But mark this, Jacob, I will rise in three days from the dead and place my foot upon the head of him who has the power of death, and I will raise my life and breath. I will raise with life and breath your wife and Ben and Joseph too, and give them, Jacob, back to you with everything the world can store, and you will reign forevermore. What an incredible story. What an incredible way of thinking about it. But did you get the question? Did you get the question that Jacob raised? I wonder if you caught it. Uh, You should have because we've probably asked similar questions. The question that Jacob asked is, why? Why would he simply disappear and never come to help? Jacob is saying, in a sense, he's been silent He's been quiet. In a sense, he was saying, I've been waiting all this time, but never did he come for help. Have you ever thought that yourself? Why Why didn't he ever, why did he just disappear? I gave my heart, my life to him, and then he just disappears, and he never comes to help. He never came. Have you asked that before? Where is he? 
He seems to be absent. Why doesn't he come? I've waited for so long. Why doesn't he come to help me? Maybe this helps to sing again this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It reminds me that the world is still broken. It reminds us that it, it won't be that way forever. Even as others have cried out, O come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom, ransom, Israel. We cry out to God, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. O come, O come, Jesus. Come, Jesus, into my heart, into my life, into my home, into my situation. Come. We're waiting. I'm waiting. I'm looking. Will you come? We're waiting. But he's promised that he will not abandon us or forsaken us. We're waiting for him to work as we can see it. Can I tell you, my friends, this day, our hope is this, that even when God is silent, it does not mean he's absent. And even while you're waiting, God is working. So I guess today our takeaway might be simply this. I will trust that he's working in my life. Even now, even now when I can't see him, even now when I can't feel him, even now when I don't understand what's happening, I can trust that he is working while I'm waiting and his silence does not mean he is absent. Could I pray for you, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the abundant love that the psalmist sings about. Thank you for the faithful love and the abundant redemption that you offer. We thank you, O oh God, that when the fullness of time had come, at the perfect moment, not as an incident, not as an accident, but as the plan of God, Jesus stepped into this world to fix what was broken. And that includes our hearts and lives. So, Lord, I pray that many of us will give our hearts and lives to him this day. Amen. So thanks for tuning in today. Maybe you'll want to talk with someone online. Maybe you would want somebody to pray for you. We have folks waiting to respond to you right now. Maybe you're here today for the first time. You need to give your heart to Jesus. Trust him. Trust that he is present even though he seems absent. And trust the promise of his word that while we are waiting, he is working. See you next week for our next carol.